Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Old Dad Jazz Podcast. I'm your host, Matthias, and today I have with me one of my best friends, Dan Vanderwolf. We're going to talk about his early experiment stage, from hypnosis to seeing UFOs to joining a group that was almost a cult-like, but it was still beneficial until it wasn't. And we're going to talk about him discovering the work of David Hawkins and actually going to the lectures and what he felt first and then obviously he liked him a lot uh, he, he was a spiritual genius addictions and temptations we're going to talk about dating and dating somebody with potential we're going to talk about the politicization of various Christian religions his decision to limit exposure to politics how according to hinduism there's different classes of people one of them being priests and one of them being warrior class interesting and we're going to talk about the lure of the luciferic energies in current political climate this and much more on today's podcast so sit back relax and enjoy the podcast Welcome to the new episode of All The Jazz. I'm your host, Matthias, and I have with me my dear friend, Dan. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matt. It's good, good to be here. Um, so, yeah, we, we've uh, met years ago. I think it must have been... Well, I okay, it's, I see what you're going to... I know what you're going to say, but I remember in 2013, we met at, in, uh, in uh, Deborah's house. That's that's what I remember, but yeah. you recall it differently, right? Yeah, because I yeah I once I met you the first time, I never forget. Uh, I, I can <laughs> never forget your face because you you reminded me of a friend I grew up with. Uh, you had a certain look that reminded me of someone I knew. Right. So I met you. Uh, I think I saw you the first time was the second time I went to Sedona, Arizona. It was 2010, uh, maybe November or something like that. Or October, 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 2010. I was there in October. October, yeah. And I'm pretty sure I saw you like at uh, one of Jacob's gatherings. Uh, Jacob, I was there. Uh, Mer- yeah. Merchant. And yeah, okay. So I might have, I probably saw you there. And then I saw you again in 2011 in Sedona. Right. You were there, right? Doc's final lecture. Dr. Yes, Hawkins September. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 of course. So I think I saw you then as well. And then I finally, I don't know if I actually met you though, formally, but, uh, but no. you were within you were we were about five feet away <laughs> at, at jacobs <laughs> oh at jacobs right i was yeah, yeah. uh yeah I, I remember there being a lot of people there okay and jacob is another uh um doc student that i think he lives in sedona still and i would have loved to live this sedona back in the day so of course we know each other because of the dr hawking's connection and um but you have a very interesting background. And he once told me that uh, even as a young kid, you experimented uh, with stuff that I experimented later on, like uh, hypnosis, and that you had friends over and that you would uh, yeah. <laughs> you'd hypnotize them. Yeah. That wow. was when I was uh, 13, 13 years old. I was into hip- hypnosis. Um, one of my, uh, my girlfriends. So I was very into... I was also very into girls at a young age too. It was just a happenstance. Um, I had a friend who was a little, maybe a year older and he was um, really, really into like sex and girls. And, and so I got really into that and sort of pursued 
pursued that in my life. It was a very major focus was having a girlfriend, having sex. And, um, and uh, but anyway, my girlfriend, I mean, that's part of my story as well. My, my uh, girlfriend taught me or told me about this hip, hypnosis technique. And I, I didn't know anything about hypnosis. Um, and uh, she told us this technique that I guess her cousins taught her. And then I started playing with it on her and other people. And I was able to put her into really, very deep trances. And wow. then I was able to um, use like a pa- use like a code, a password, or a, yeah, or um, you know, a, a special word that would uh, instantly put her into a trance. Wow. Yeah. So you, secret you, word. It, so in a trance, in in a hypnosis, you would program her that once you get out of hypnosis, if yeah. you say this word, uh, you're gonna go deep into the trance again. Instantly. Wow. And somebody, one of my cousins. Uh, wanted to test it out and uh so he 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 said the word while she was walking and she fell like she instantly fell down <laughs> we had to catch her we had to jump and catch her how so, long it, do, so it was real right yeah how long do you think that lasts though do you have to deprogram um, her hopefully not for hopefully not for life i don't know if i ever deprogrammed her <laughs> oh oh lord yeah, i don't know all right <laughs> Yeah, I remember once so, in class yeah. in Canada, I did uh, we did a simple exercise similar to yours, which is you you count, uh, you try to make a person forget how to count from one uh, from one to ten by by saying uh, by emitting a word, but no, not a word, a number, um, and then it would work. And then, but then obviously you you put them back in place, but. I, yeah, I don't think what you did would be uh, would have a lifetime effect. I don't think that's the case, but maybe you worked for a few weeks or a week. Yeah, maybe? I don't know. I hope I hope I hope not. Now that that girl. So we also experimented with uh, the Ouija board. Oh my uh, so gosh. and this is this is an interesting thing. Uh, most people, a lot of people that start out on the spiritual path, what we call the spiritual path, start out uh, with a lot of new agey and you know, weird stuff, aliens. Um, so I was into like all that. I was into aliens, yeah. uh, Ouija boards, uh, psychic. Uh, I was even in, in high school, I was kind of interested in witchcraft. Um, so yeah, I went through this whole occult period. Um, and in fact, that with that girlfriend, I saw, I actually saw a UFO. And, it, and I've, I've seen many UFOs since, but this was by far the most um, tangible, the most uh, visible the most real like flying spacecraft that I've ever seen. It was not of anything of this earth that we are, that we are, that we know. Was it like physical, physical? physical. Yes. Yeah, physical. <clears throat> it had a sound. It was there. It was. And if you can look it up on, on, on the internet, it's a triangular shaped UFO and it was uh, flying. Uh, it's like flying back backwards, like with the broad side flying first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so her, her and I, and her brothers saw, saw, well, there was two, they didn't see the, the other one cause it had flown over the trees, but they saw one. And to this day, whenever, um, whenever I talk to her, she says, did we see that? And she has to like confirm, we saw that. Right. And I'm like, yeah, we saw it. It's she's like, see, like nobody believes me, <laughs> but well, anyway, how so you close and I, were you? how close were you to the, it was close. It was flying over. It was flying. I mean, I can't say in feet, but it was, it was, 
clearly it was there. It was a, it was a metal shape and um, yeah, it was closer than most planes. It's hard to say really, but yeah, it made a sound. It was pretty freaky because it's interesting because I was so, I was really into that stuff and I was, a, I was an enthusiast and um, every time there was a weird thing in the sky, I was like, there it is, there's a UFO. And you, you, it was always a plane was, until that time. And it was like, I remember saying to her, you can't tell me that's not a UFO. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we were like this, wow, it was amazing. So were you doing anyway, anything that special that to attract it or were you doing any, were you trying to summon it up in a way? Well, that's the interesting question because I stopped seeing UFOs around the time when I stopped caring about seeing UFOs. So it's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, the last UFO I saw when I was in Mexico, which was 2008 or something like that. No, 2005 actually. So, and in Mexico, they have these, there's there like a flying light in the middle of the daytime and um, who knows what it was, right? And uh, that was the last time I saw anything like that. So, wow. oh, sorry. I sent when I was in Sedona the first time. I What? didn't see it, but I, but I, yeah, I didn't see it, but I sensed it. Uh, like it was staring at me. And it was very weird because you know what Sedona's like? There's a lot of really great high spiritual energy, but there's also quite a bit of weird, weird new agey energy, right? And I was around, like there's the vortexes and all these interesting things, but they're kind of more along the lines of weird, weird stuff. And um, you know, Dr. Hawkins basically says to sort of avoid that stuff or be leery of it. Yeah. And, um, but in Sedona, anyway, I was, I, I was around some weird energy. Like I think I went to some vortexes and I was in the vicinity of a weird pyramid tech Atlantean technology type stuff. And I don't know if that's what it was, but then I was, I was walking back to my uh, hotel room and I just had this really weird feeling that some something was watching me and it's like I could sense it so strong it was like it was in the, I couldn't see anything but I could just sense it clear as day it was like this alien energy was watching me <laughs> it was weird but how can you be sure that it's a, it was an alien uh well maybe it was a remote viewer or somebody uh astral yeah. projecting or something Yeah, it was just the the scent. Like I can't. Yeah, you're right. I can't say for sure. I can't say that it was like mm. quote unquote an alien, but it was. The only yeah. way to describe it was it was like UFO energy. That makes sense. Yeah. So it was, whatever it, that is, right? So it was similar to the uh, to the uh, to the energy you picked up when you saw the the alien uh, spaceship. The first basically. one. Yeah. The the first one was a weird. I had a weird feeling. Um, I had a very, like, cause I, I, I lived very close to that girl and I ran home hmm. and I just had this very kind of like scared almost, uh, feeling, but I don't know if it was the same, like this was, so over the years I've developed intuition and, and that sort of thing. And sometimes you can just, sometimes you can sense actual energies. Um, and some of them are higher and some of them are lower. Right. And yeah. some of them. The new, the really, the new agey ones, I'd use that word, but um, they have kind of a weird, a weird quality. Um, and that's what this had. It had a weird, a kind of a weird new agey quality. Definitely not like, not definitely not an energy that I would want to invite into my life. Yeah. Um, right. But 
<clears throat> like a lot of people would though you know lot, the, the other thing that happened at sedona the, um, this was maybe the second no this was the third time i think we were at uh, one of the vortexes and i and i all my life i've been a very very good climber not not afraid of heights and i was climbing up this like this rock it was like this i don't know rock thing and the rock was there was like a five not five foot uh maybe three foot high little rock thingy and then it led to like a high like you could climb up this i don't know i don't know how to really explain it but it wasn't right. that high and um so i was climbing up it and it was like literally to my waist that's how high it was and i was so scared and i was and I, it was like this energy pulling me off of it I, I couldn't even do it wow and yeah it was very bizarre and then we and then my friend uh kevin kevin seiler i think you've met him um we were there and some lady said, oh, yeah, I, I was climbing up this thing because there was another part that was much taller. But she said, oh, yeah, I was climbing up and I fell off and and yeah, <laughs> hit her head. And, and but she was still there and she still kept trying to climb up. She, she said, my family's really worried about me, but I just want to keep climbing. And wow. she was attracted to it. But it was an energy. It was an energy that was like not nice. It was it wanted to pull oh. you down. So it, it was a vortex, but it was uh what we call a, a below 200 energy in that vortex, basically. Below yeah, below 200 uh energy entity. And uh that's sort of what the UFO I mean it's similar to the UFO energy experience that I had. It was hmm. it's kind of this energy that yeah a lot of people think it's kind of neat. So they invite it into their life. Right. But right. really really probably shouldn't right um yeah let's let's uh switch gears into something <laughs> uh and we're talking about all the weird stuff right yeah, so yeah, yeah. i don't know why i i don't know it's it's but it's always interesting because i think people people are interested in that stuff um so i know that for a while you were in a in a thing in a in a group that you later called a cult so cult. so how did you how did you end up end up uh going into because i'm always curious uh how people end up in, in groups i mean obviously in the beginning it was probably well intentioned and everything was good yeah i presume yeah. well yeah. okay so um and you know speaking of energy so everything has like its own like you and i know the the scale of consciousness which talks about um energy levels so yeah energies cal calibrate or they resonate at certain levels or some people would maybe call it frequencies. Um, so, but, you know, at a certain level, you would also have a whole bunch of different things that uh, they are, they're all at the same level, but they would have slightly, like a slightly different flavor or feeling to them. Um, and um, so the, the, the group I was in was called like, um, but it's sort of misleading to use that word because Hawkins talks about cults. Uh, he calibrates cults as below 200. So in a negative, you know, negative. The group I belong to, I don't believe was in the negative uh, range. Like it was, okay. it was, you know, it calibrated well. And the technique, the meditation technique we taught um, was very, you know, it was very beneficial and it changed, like it changed my life. When I, when I went, so I went out to Vancouver when I was about 20. Um, you know, as you can see, like I was sort of a seeker at the age of 13. Um, and then it really intensified into my late teens. Hmm. I, I got into religion as well. I got into different things. And then, and then I sort of really just wanted to find something that would help me 
realize truth within myself. So I went out on this journey, this physical journey from Ontario, Canada to Vancouver, uh, which is all the way on the other side of, and Canada is a very big country. So it was a pretty big journey. And, um, and then out there, I met these monks who taught a form of meditation. And, you know, I, I, I took the weekend course. So it's a lot like TM, Transcendental Meditation. Right. It, it's, it's patterned after that. So the, we, there's like a weekend course. It costs money. You do, you do it. And then after the course, you're, you're supposed to do it every day, 20 minutes, three times a day. And I was religious with it. I loved the course. I got like, I, I just felt like totally different. And then I, I kept doing the technique every day and it, I just, it changed me. And, um, and uh, probably, you know, probably if we calibrated it, probably it, I did go up at that time in my life of, you know, that's the thing with spirituality. You'll find some, you'll, you'll get into like this phase in your life where you're making a lot of progress. And so it was natural for me to eventually join the group and become like a full-fledged member, but it was cult-like in the sense that when you become a member of that, of a group like that, you uh, really, really commit. Like you, you, you literally marry it. Like you marry and, and there's a, a guru and the guru becomes like, we don't really call it, we didn't really call it guru, but that's a good way to describe it. We called it, we called uh, him our teacher capital T teacher. Mm -hmm. So the sense is that, and this comes from Hinduism, the sense is that um, they, the teacher knows way, way more than you. And they're the only ones that can really guide you to enlightenment because on your own, how, how, how the heck are you going to get there? Right. Right. So the teacher, right. So there's a lot of value in having a teacher because uh, a teacher that knows more than you cannot, you know, obviously can guide you in the right direction for your growth. And there was a lot of that, you know, he did, he did guide me and help me in a lot of ways. And it helped me learn how to surrender because a lot of times we like to do things our own way at our own time and to our own pre preference. Right. That's my big problem. Right. One of my big problems. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> well, you, you'd benefit from having somebody that just say, Hey, Matt, you know, you need to do this. And then you just, you have to do it. Like, it's not like, oh, I think I'm going to, because if you don't do it, it's what happens? you know you get well maybe you might get shamed in a ashamed in a, in a whoa well well okay so we would have a lot this is one of the things i do not miss about the group at all well i don't really miss anything about it but it, that took me a while to get to that place but um one of the things i never missed about it was we you had a lot of meetings like every single night when you're in the um when you're at the main headquarters so we had satellite centers as well, but if, like, if you were like seeing your teacher at the big retreat center slash headquarters, you would, there would be like a three hour meeting every single night, every single night of the week, there would be a three hour meeting with like 50 to 80 people. What do you talk meeting. about? What do you talk about yeah. every day for three hours? It's a crazy, you talk about, I don't know, but it, every time, every, the meetings were always like, you didn't want to go, but afterwards you felt amazing. Oh, um, okay. But one of the things you talk about is you talk about getting deeper in your experience with uh, the inner silence, your, your spiritual experience. So you talk about spiritual experiences and you might talk about emotional issues, but they, they always wanted you to get beyond that stuff. Um, but, but if you were, 
if you were kind of like following your own program, you know, you're in your ego and following your own program, you would get called out. You'd get called oh. out by your teacher or maybe by somebody else. Okay. So, yeah. So there, there was the, the carrot and the stick approach. Right. Um, <laughs> this reminds me of um, a little bit of landmark, I would say, in that yes. you're very, you know, you're late and you're like, you know, why, why are you late and all that? I mean, I benefited greatly, I think, from landmark, but, uh, and it, it does employ the carrot and stick approach as well. But this sounds like it was more geared towards not just not being on time, but more towards you have to do the meditation. You have to basically uh, trying to nudge you along, forcing it to grow spiritually, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. Nudge you along, force you to grow spiritually. That's, <laughs> that's what it was all about. And in Does some it cases, work? it worked. It, it works to an extent. Like I found that it worked. It, it helped me, like I said, it helped me learn how to surrender. It mm -hmm. helped me learn certain things that would take others a very long time to learn because you're, you're being pushed at a rapid speed. Um, then, then I hit a wall. Like then, then there was a point when I felt like I wasn't growing anymore and it was actually holding me back because it's very controlling. Um, yeah, I sent you like a link. Yeah. I sent you a link to a book that actually helped me eventually get out of the group. And the book talks about gurus in particular, but the, the, the general topic is authoritarianism and the book's called the guru papers. And it talks. And so um, that book really opened my eyes to what I already knew was going on is that there's almost, well, there's, there's, so there's too much control and some of the control is for the purpose of keeping you locked in kind of yeah. right and yeah so there's um in some of the i guess the belief systems see the group the group was a lot to do with going beyond belief systems but it still had its own belief systems and and so there was a lot of wasted energy kind of upkeep upkeeping the, the 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 belief systems and the status quo the the protocols the norms the you learn your own lingo like in groups like that you have your own lingo of course of course right you have your own lingo you have and you you have the expectations you have ways of behaving that you're expected you're expected to conform to so there's, but there's a lot of things like that that sort of make up your involvement that have absolutely nothing to do with your with your spiritual growth, right? Mm -hmm. Some of those things at certain times can help, but they can also become a hindrance. For example, I had a special name. I had I, I had long hair. I wore white. I I taught meditation, and all these things are to help you get beyond your former identity. But then they create a new identity and a new, you know, a new attachment for you. Right. So and because then it becomes counterproductive. And then you felt it was, uh, you were not growing anymore and it was time to go, basically. Yeah, I felt like I wasn't growing anymore. And I felt like it wasn't what it said it was. So I watched this documentary about Mormonism years later. Oh, no, a few years later. And there was a guy who had left the Mormon church. And basically what he said was, even if it's the greatest thing, even if Mormonism is the greatest thing since sliced bread, if it's not what it says it is, it's not worth uh, risking your life for 
because he he talked about when he was a missionary for the Mormon church, he was in some dangerous country and there's crocodiles and swamps and and he and it was a great experience, but he he then he had kids and he thought, you know, if this thing isn't what it says it is, then it's not worth even if it's a great thing, it's not worth like risking my children's lives for. And that's sort of how I felt too, is that it wasn't really what it said it was. For example, there were there wasn't as many people enlightened in the group that we told ourselves were right. We told ourselves various lies. And was there anybody even enlightened? Was good, no, I don't believe the, there was probably some people got into the five hundreds. Okay. I believe there was like maybe a few people that got into five hundreds. Um, but no, as far as if you and I are talking about the level of six hundred, which you know roughly five people. Right. At a given time. And for the audience that doesn't know, the uh, in the Hawking's map of consciousness, 200 is level of uh, neutrality. So between so between zero and 200 is negative, and above 200 is well, including 200 is positive. So level 500 is the start of love, and the level 600 is the start of uh, enlightenment to a thousand. Yeah. Right. I think I think I saw somebody get into the 500s when I was there. Um, and I saw people looking back who were, you know, below 200, but not, but the group itself probably was still, was above 200. Even the teacher, my mm. teacher was above 200 and he, and he had a lot of, a lot to share. He had, there was a lot of uh, wisdom and uh, commitment. He was so committed, like he was so committed to my growth. Mm. So even though, even though he might've been wrong in certain ways and even like, too controlling or maybe even abusive in some ways he still did so much good for me and for others i would never see it as a negative i could never look at that and go that was wrong or negative and uh but but having said that i got out um and it took me three times to get it took me three attempts to get out of the group because wow. you are so i was there for 10 years so your identity mm. it's your, it's your identity it's your family as you know, I, I was married and I lost my marriage. Uh, I had to you know, go through a divorce as a direct result of leaving the group. Wow. Because she was still in the group. Were you like so working inside the group as well? Or were you working outside, but part of the group? Yeah. How does it work? Well, I was, you, you teach meditation for a living within the group. And then uh, wow. I got into debt. So I, I took a job. I took a factory job. But I mean, I, I could have been going to college. I could have, you know. And doing other things with my time but i you, you end up spending all of your time and energy toward like putting it towards the group um there was a good documentary good documentary about a group like this and it's amazing how many of them there are like i think i think in this documentary someone said there's there's one of these groups in every town and um and it's interesting to watch films about other groups because there's similarities and then there's there's differences but one of the things that this group did which was sort of similar is the guru was really into uh ballet and they would put on these amazing ballet performances once okay. a year the entire they would go all out costumes and everything and they and they would do this amazing performance for 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 themselves they would have no there was no audience there was nobody so all these people put all this energy and talent, creativity, money into the group for the group's purposes, but, but they weren't able to share it with the world or benefit themselves personally, individually. 
Right. So why not put on a, a show and let people let other people sure. come and she Right. That's sort of the nature of it, right? You end up and we would have these amazing talent shows and and different things where people would just use all their talents uh devoted to the group, to the teacher. Mm. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but after, you know, if you do that for 10, 20 years, you you kind of you kind of dis, you're disconnected from the rest of the world. And it's hard to reintegrate into the into the other, you know, the outside world. Right. You're in right. a bubble essentially. You're in a bubble. So it sounds like it was very mixed bag for you personally. And then towards the end, you didn't get any benefit. So you got out basically. Yeah. 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 And then, and then you go through the process of deprogramming de yourself and. Uh, wow. And when did you find Dr. Hawkins? In the group. Um, wow. My teacher. Yeah. So this is one of the great things I learned. I was introduced to Hawkins I was introduced, uh, you know, power versus force. I read power versus force in 2000, I think, the year 2000. Um, my teachers in that group said, you got to read this book. It's amazing. They introduced me to, um, well, of course, the miracles, um, Ramana Maharshi, Nisargadatta yep. Maharaj, the Bhagavad Gita. So some very great high teachings, Advaita Vedanta teachings and and they were also pro Jesus. They, you know, we we were Hindu Hinduish, but we hmm. prayed to Christ in a Hindu way. So right. that was a benefit. You know? So what did they say about Jesus? That, that he's the Messiah and the King of Kings, the Savior. Not exactly. They 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 said he was um, an Ashaya <laughs> uh, who who went to India and. When he, you know, in the last years of Christ, between the age of twelve and thirty, oh right, um, there's speculation that that Jesus went to different places and learned different things. Like he went to India, um, and so that was part of our mythology. We had our own, we had our own mythology. And like I, you know, I was talking about earlier with um, the UFO stuff, and this group also had its own energy, and the energy was, in a sense in a sense, seductive. Um, yeah, so it's something to be aware of. It's hard to, when you're, you know, when you're a naive seeker starting out, it's hard to see these things for what they are. Yeah. But luckily, it, luckily, like I said, luckily it was a group that wasn't below 200 because that's really disastrous. I can look back and say, I, I don't regret any of it. I can't, you know, I, I can't see any, any negative anymore that's good it took a while to get to them yeah how how would you compare that to the then the hawking's lecture the first hawking's lecture you went to the the uh the people and the energy for me i know it was amazing when i first was at the hawking's lecture i was like wow yeah 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 well i i had this experience where i was sort of underwhelmed at first because i went i saw hawkins just it was he was doing um just uh, a satsang a two-hour discussion and answer, mm -hmm. and and uh, the questions were all. A lot of the questions were very non non-spiritual, right? They were just like you know materialistic and selfish, and and um, I was just underwhelmed. Like I was just felt underwhelmed with it all. But then I went home, not home, but I was staying with a friend. I went to my friend's house, and I went to bed, and then I woke up in the morning, and something 
there was a change and I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I started thinking about the lecture and I realized that uh, this, this man that I just watched had something about him that I had never seen before in my life. And that, that realization changed my life. Um, and the only way to, the, the way that I like to describe it is the, the word shadowless. He was, he had no shadow. shadow. He, had, he had no shadow. He had no ego. Um, yeah, it was like, it was like a body, but nobody there, nobody was there individually. Yeah. Just a body and a presence, right? I had the same experience when at one time I went to, to ask him a question and, uh, it seemed to me that he was there, but, uh, but there was a puppet master or something like that. He was, yeah. uh, he was being, you know, just, uh, that there was nothing in the body. There was nobody, there was nothing. It just, uh, he was, yeah. uh, there was strings attached and he would just move and everything would just happen of its own. But there was, uh, it was like, uh, being in the presence almost of, uh, the Buddha relics. Cause that's, it yeah. was the same kind of thing to me. It seemed cause I've seen Buddha relics a few times and it seemed to me similar and I had to snap out of it because on stage you have to, I, I just wanted to ask my question, not be blown yeah. out basically. Yeah. Yeah. So what year was it when you first uh, saw Dr. Hawkins? 2010, the beginning of 2010. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I went two times in that year. Same. Actually, yeah. Yeah. October. Then you went in October. You went to January and October, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because I went, I went to... June and, and, October, and October. And of course, Sedona is a magical place. Like yeah. synchronicities and it's amazing miraculous things happen when you're in Sedona and so all three times I went it was they were life-changing hmm. yeah. so you wrote a book uh, when I was in Canada you were writing the book and uh, yeah. willingness to love so um, I have it so right here amazing uh, I I I think I read the early draft when you were writing it yeah uh, yeah it was so what do you think is the, the, the thing that prevents people from, from to be willing to, uh, to do spiritual work and stuff? Obviously, you probably had some resistances, as everybody does. Yeah, you have to, you have, to have a reason to do it, I guess. You have to, you have to want, um, there has to be something that's pulling you forward, you know? Not everybody has that uh i guess they're not mature enough um they just haven't reached that point in their life where something is pulling them to some to something higher mm. they would rather stay they would rather and we all and we all like you said we all have this to some extent where we would rather have the short-term payoffs um, short short-term ego payoffs than let those go and, and experience something higher but being in the presence of high energies like Dr. Hawkins, like church at times, um, you can have you when when you experience higher states, then you realize it's there, and then that can help you. That can kind of prompt you to to move forward. But if nobody's if someone has never experienced anything like that, it's yeah. hard to want want to change. You know, that was going to be my question. How does somebody that uh 
um, I'm, maybe people below 200 would not be listening to this podcast, but if somebody's uh, so uh, so wrapped up in their uh, um, their ego and they, they have a lot of negative stuff and they keep uh, crying or they keep having outbursts of anger and it's hard to see. You know, once you're in that state, it's hard to see if there's anything beyond that. Um, so... Yeah, some people, I think from that, some people, because they live in that state, so how how can they go beyond that? They need religion, really. I mean, religion is the best thing for helping with that um, because religion is very is established. And I mean, most I'm talking most religion is established over a long period of time as, as being aligned with God as um, a structure, a structure that is aligned with, with God, with goodness, with, with that upward trajectory that you're talking about. And so it, it you know, like I know lots of people that um, religion is the only thing kind of hang, holding them in there. And um, without it, they would, and this, this is, this is, you could say this for society without religion, society will collapse. I, I think is what's going to replace it something worse if you don't something worse usually replaces it and this is the mistake i think a lot of people make including including people that left the group that i that i belong to a lot of people left the group and they became totally anti-spiritual they went the opposite direction so they didn't really get the lessons from the group they just they saw it as a negative and and when people leave religion the same thing usually happens they don't leave the religion for something better they they just they just uh, the ego now has free reign. Hmm. So, yeah, we got it. We got to find something that's that's above our own ego to align with. You know, right? Something that's um, that's not gonna be oh, I'm right all the time. And uh, I remember there was yeah. a I'm not I'm not a big big fan of horror movies, and I think most well all of them probably below two hundred. But there was this guy that was a ex-police officer um and he was an exorcist he's an exorcist now i think still is in new york and they asked him for the movie they asked him to be the advisor and uh he was talking this he gave this interview and he's like people ask me how can you be such a nasty guy and be religious and the guy's like uh, well can you imagine uh oh how how nasty i would be if i wasn't religious <laughs> you know because he That's was still answer. rough around the edges you know yep yep yeah so exactly. i think that's a good example of like uh, somebody that's because of religion they're um uh they're better than they were before yeah yeah even though and that's what it doesn't yeah, seem that... like yeah yeah and that's what you know that's what we need we need something that's gonna help us to rise to something higher right we all need that yeah another common one another common addiction maybe is uh, is uh stuff around sex and uh yeah, yeah. so uh, speak to that a little bit like what do you think people i think this afflicts mostly men um yeah about sex pornography etc yeah. it's extremely seductive um so I, I think that what you want to do is you want to you want to see it as like you're on a journey. Um, you're exploring, and part of the, part of the journey is exploring, and you're exploring 
what that really is. How does that addiction actually work? What is the addiction to? Right? These are all questions that are important. It's important to understand the addiction to be able to overcome it. And because we, we tend to think with that kind of thing, we tend to think that we need to be just totally chased, right? And, um, but the problem is then when the energy comes up again, when the temptation comes up again, um, it's, so, it's so alluring, you know, it's so tempting that, that uh, it's easy to want to go for that. So we, it's, it's better than, better than trying to be completely hundred percent chase is, um, is trying to redirect that in a more positive way. So like, kind of like owning the, owning the sexual desire and um, being okay with it, kind of like being, becoming friends with it instead of trying to either repress it. This is what I see with a lot of guys. They're either into like fully into porn or they're trying to repress it and they need to find a middle ground. And the, what way, if, to, the way to find them, yeah. What's what is that? the middle ground then? Sorry, go ahead. Um, there, you got to realize that, okay, so porn is a, porn has got to be totally out. Um, because it, it's just so it's, it's like the, the sexual, um, addiction on steroids. Yeah. Porn isn't the addiction. I, I believe porn personally, porn is not the addiction. The addiction is to orgasm. That's what the addiction is. To. It, it's, 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 it's the dopamine that is released before and especially during an orgasm. That is the addiction. When that is happening with a loving partner, it's not a bad thing at all. It's a great thing. But when it's happening outside of a loving relationship, it's not a good thing. So mm. that's, a, that's also something to realize is that, is that any, kind of, any kind of, I guess I would say any kind of orgasm outside of a, sex, outside of a, a real loving, doesn't necessarily need to be a, a marriage in my, my personal opinion. Although God might disagree, I don't know. <laughs> I have to ask him. <laughs> but <laughs> but anything where you're alone, you know, mm. or you're or you're with somebody that you don't really care about, I think is is a negative. Yeah, yeah. but it's okay. right. It's just a, yeah. Yeah. So how do you know then? Look, let's. This is a good topic for me because I often struggle with this. When you're with somebody, how do you know? Like. Um, if this person is the one, this is, I'm just going for this person because uh, I myself always find flaws. I'm like, this is not good. This is not good. This is not good. This is not good. So yeah. and then I'm like, uh, uh, so how can you, how can you decide and just go for it? Because I admire people because you just like, uh, just decide them like, yeah, this is a person. This is the person I like and go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you, um, do you have somebody that you like right now? Putting me on the spot here. Maybe. <laughs> just as, yeah, maybe. Well, then you just, then you just, then you just put one foot in front of the other because you don't, this is what God told me. And okay. uh, when I say God told me, I, I, you know, we both, guidance. we both know about two way, two way prayer where you ask God for guidance and then you write it down. And sometimes what comes up is not what you would expect, but it's often exactly what you need to hear, especially if it's actually coming from God. And um, 
when, when I was in Thailand, what came to me was, it's okay to have a girlfriend. So that's the guidance that came to me. And it came out of nowhere. It, it's okay to have a girlfriend. And I think the other thing that came right after that was, you don't have to like marry her or anything. You don't have to like, you don't have to like pick somebody that you're definitely going to marry. It's okay to just have a girlfriend. And that sort of made it more accessible to me. And then I met this girl on a, on a, on a site, on a dating site in Thailand. And she said, what are you looking for? I said, a girlfriend. And she, I said, what are you looking for? She said, a boyfriend. And it was that simple. <laughs> just like that. Just like that. It was that simple. So wait, did you arrange that just before you, before you met up? Like, or did you decide that already? Yeah, well, we weren't like, that wasn't like we were together at that point, but we were, right, right, but, right. It was, but it made it clear that we were both looking for the same thing. And that, see, just that alone, as you know, is so hard to get to that point where you meet somebody right. who's looking for the same thing as you and who is interested in you and you're interested in them. Yeah. Same place, same time, right? That's hard enough. Like that's, that's like almost impossible. It seems like for many, for myself and many others in this day and age, it seems very, very hard to just meet somebody that might be a potential yeah. and that sees you as a potential, right? So yeah, um, that, that, and then it just, you know, we, we met up and it was, there was a connection there. There was, but it took me, I had to really let go of a lot of my expectations and fantasies about the perfect partner or what a partner was supposed to provide for me or fulfill for me. Because, you know, we, we can, we can write a list of all the things we would like. Right. But a lot of those things, cause I was actually single for a long time. I was single for the better part of 10 years after, after my marriage and not, not for lack of trying at all. I was trying to meet somebody, but it just wasn't working. But eventually in that, in that solitude, which was one of the most difficult things I've experienced, I, I eventually came to peace with a lot of, I came to peace with being alone and not needing to have somebody for, for different things in my life. Like for example, my spiritual path, do I need to have another a partner that shares my spiritual path with me? I used to think that I did. I used to think that was like a crucial, important part of a partnership, of a, of a relationship. Mm. But I met lots of spiritual women. They weren't good matches for me at all. And they weren't somebody I would want to marry or anything. So, and then eventually I, I realized I don't need a person like, cause spiritual spirituality is a solo thing. It's between you and God. And do I need someone that's like, I'm, I'm, I really like writing, obviously. Do I need someone who's into writing? No. So you can kind of, you can kind of whittle away a lot of the things you think you need. And then you realize what's really important for me. Loyalty, for example, loyalty is very important. If you don't have loyalty and honesty, you don't have anything. You can't, you know. Um, right. And yeah, and and I like simplicity too. I like a relationship that's kind of, kind of simple. It's not super duper complicated and dramatic. And um, that you don't have to work on it continuously. It just kind of like it just yeah. is, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because some relationships are like that. You always have this. Always something. You're always working on something. Yeah you start dating and you're already going to counselors and etc. Well, yeah. not that it's bad, yeah. but maybe that's no. the path for these people is 
Um, right. We're all, we're all different. So I think a yeah. lot of times, you know, relationships um, also what happens, uh, I've, I've found this out as well. Not that I have much experience with the relationships at all, but uh, I found that things do come up uh, in relationships that maybe wouldn't come up otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So do you think, do you think uh, having, even having bad relationships, do you think that might be uh, a vehicle to spiritual progress if you take it for the good and you're like, yeah, I'm going to learn from this, this and that, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, I think you have to have in the back of your mind that yes, we could get married. To me, that's, you have to, you, 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 you don't need like, oh yeah, I'm going to marry this girl or whatever. But in the back of your mind, if you ask yourself, can I see myself maybe, maybe me marrying this person at some point? And if the answer is a, is a yes, is a, even a maybe, hmm. then, then it's, I think it's safe to pursue if you, if you're interested in that person. And if you, um, um, there was something else. I can't remember. I can't remember what it was now. Something else, but what have okay uh, I'll, I'll share my experience of uh, i was in tind on tinder for a while and i noticed another dating sites and i noticed that there was uh there's a political component so there's some people that are like no no tories no trump voters this and that so there's yeah. uh, <clears throat> so this speaks about your second book was jesus a liberal or conservative because it speaks about the uh the politicization of the modern society especially in the west and i'm seeing that a lot in in the university that i go to and we spoke off air a lot about this they're so politicized so um and it seems to me like the dating is very much uh religion doesn't seem to be as important in the western world as politics if you are a tory in britain or trump supporter in america or i don't know in canada if you're conservative then all yeah. of a sudden you're like forgotten. You're like your dating pool diminishes online by 70% or something. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're deplorable. Right. And I like, <laughs> I like the word. I like, I like that word. And I call myself that I'm a deplorable. Um, and deplorables know what it's like to be at the bottom. You know, mm. that's, they know what it's like to be thrown torn to the side. And you know, there's, there's female deplorables too. So <laughs> got to find some of them. Um, right. Yeah. It's tough because, you know, it, it really, uh, it limits the pool, the pool, the pool of, of, of possible, possible matches is very, has, has shrunken for a lot of different reasons for social and political reasons. There's just less and less available women and less and less available men. Women are having a hard time too meeting men. Part of it is that they don't know if they even need a man or want a man, but deep down they, they do want a man. But see, there's that confusion right there. I do and I don't. This is a saying that my brother has. I do and I don't. <laughs> yes or yes and no. Yes and no. You got you to gotta make it a yes. Um, yes, I want a relationship. Okay. Just, a lot of people can't even admit that to themselves. They're like, well, you know, I do better alone. Or, but if I meet someone, yeah. No, do you want one or not? Just, just make up your mind and, and be, okay, be okay with wanting it that that is a level of um um uh vulnerability yeah. okay being vulnerable enough to say you know what i want to i want a relationship i want to meet somebody and i'm re and i'm ready to commit to somebody you know in a relation not a marriage and not talking about marriages i'm ready to actually be 
somebody's boyfriend. Can mm. you make that, you know, can you, are you ready to make that step? And then, um, yeah, like the, the thing I forgot about that, that I was going to say was as long as they're, as long as they're over 200, you know, as long as they're over 200, I think. And in the back of your mind, you, you think maybe, maybe we could get married, you know, then the, those are the two qualifiers for me. And then, you know, and then if you just, you just flat out, you like them, you just like the person and they like you that's those so three things that's all you need just those three things and so there was a girl that i met in high school i think you and i were talking about this like how do you know the good girls from the bad girls right right and when i was in high school i only liked the bad girls i only liked the bad the bad ones the ones that were like if we calibrated them they would have been below 200 they were they were very dramatic very high maintenance very self-righteous very demanding and controlling mean girls and then there was girls mean girls <laughs> and just crazy girls you know psycho girls and controlling girls anyway girls that would not make my life really happy but i was in love with them <laughs> and then <laughs> and then there were girls that were nice they were uh they liked me they were low maintenance they were uh good in bed they would probably cook for you. Um, and, you know, it would be nice. It would be a good experience. Do your laundry, and cook for you? Probably, yeah. It was like, <laughs> and, yeah, they'd be really good. And, and, and I liked them. And, like, I got along well with them. I got along really well with them. And those girls I passed, I passed up. So looking back, in some cases, looking back, I, I know exactly who they were. If I had my current level of understanding back then, I would have totally gone for that. I would have been, you know, I would have committed to them in a real relationship. Part of it was that maybe I was afraid of a real relationship. So I would avoid those girls and then I'd go for the girls that I couldn't really even get. And even if I did get them, it would be a nightmare. So then it would break, you know, it was guaranteed not to work. So looking back on and, and seeing those girls that I, it's not like a regret, but it's like, I still like them. You know, even to this day, I still like them. And I, if the you know, circumstances were different and they were free and I was free, I would still go for them, yeah. you know? And it's not like this fiery, and it's not like this fiery love romance feeling about it, but it's this really nice, like, yeah, I like you, you know, and you're, you're cool and you're good for me. And I'm, I think I'm going to be good for you. Yeah. Right. There's this, there's this distinction that doc makes, uh, I mean, Dr. Hawkins, that is really interesting. It talks about uh, the love in the 500s and it talks about uh, the possessiveness, the infatuation. I, I forget the, what the main word was what the, he labeled this with, but it was like a level of 140 or something. It was very, uh, you know, first you, you love somebody and then they don't like you anymore. And then all of a sudden yeah. you're angry. You're angry because you it's it's an involvement with each other it's not a like an alignment yeah. it's an it's an involvement right and mm -hmm. i think a lot of people go for that like that's the the passionate love as they call it is all yeah. about involvement you know and and i think you can have that passion with the good girls like it's so you're not deriving the passion from from drama um because that because i mean and i i was in a relationship with somebody who who you actually know and um it was 
it was very uh, fiery, right? You know the person I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and looking Definitely. back on that relationship, looking back on that relationship, um, that we our made our main connection was actually sex. I didn't realize that when we first started hanging out because we both, her and I were both into spirituality, and that seemed to be the initial attraction, but but then we got into, ended up getting into a relationship, and what got us together really was was a sexual chemistry which was created by sort of like this dramatic energy that you're talking about and there was sort of some spiritual there was spiritual energy mixed in with that so but but when i look back on it now the attraction to her or the attraction that we had was mainly a sexual thing not that there's anything wrong with that either but but i think it's it's that sort of hard to sustain Right. I don't know if you know Jesse Lee Peterson, but he's he's just a talk radio guy, a black guy in Los Angeles. And he always, when people call him for relationship advice and if they have sex before marriage, he always says that uh, uh, that uh, the woman is a sex dealer and he's a, he's an addict, basically. <laughs> if the, because that's what happens to dynamic. Like she's the, she's the dealer and he's an addict, basically. So he always recommends people not have sex before marriage and then to get married and then move in. Like he doesn't recommend even moving in before the marriage yeah, is done yeah. and all that. So yeah. w- w- what do you think of that perspective? Well, he's, is he, I mean, is he, what about if you're 41 years old, you know, it's like, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's how they did it. And that's how they've done it in religions. Um, the yeah. way that religions have done it, there's wisdom in that, right? That there's wisdom in how they approach it. Um, but for me personally, I, I would rather, I would rather date and have sex because, you know, I don't know if we're going to get married, but, um, yep. I mean, he's talking about, I think he's talking about an ideal that would work for some people for sure, but not for me, not for well, me, not if you've already had sex. Well, he's, he's already, uh, he's a minister, a, a trained oh, minister, I think as well. So he's yeah. Going, okay. He's um, going with that. Right. But if let's, okay. So here's the thing. If you, on the sex topic, if you've never had sex before and you've never, like, let's say you've never masturbated before in your life and you've never watched porn, then uh, I would recommend that. I would recommend that approach of just don't, don't do it. Don't masturbate. Don't watch porn. Don't have sex before marriage and uh, try to meet somebody who's on the same page and, uh, and then do it that way. Because when you, when you expose yourself to those experiences of, um, uh, well, ejaculation, orgasm, pornography, and, and sex in general, um, it's addictive, right? It's a very, very addictive thing. Yeah. And, um, but if you've never, but if you've never, uh, my thing, my phone's not charging like I thought it was. <laughs> but but if you, um, that's all right. But if you've never experienced that before, you don't know what you're missing, right? Oh, it's charging and now. I heard the better. sound. I heard the sound. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Should be good now. I think it's right. good. Oh wait, no, I I turn around. Okay, so if you've never experienced that, you're better off. But if you've right. already experienced it, you got to work with what you got to work with, right? Like right, if right, you've right. already had sex, like trying to go without sex before marriage is that's 
not for me at least some people can do it right right Let, let's talk about yeah. um i know i remember one time you told me a story you went to you wanted to i think it was a meditation group you wanted to establish you wanted to rent a room for uh, from this church and they asked you a political question and they were taken aback Oh, yes. Um, what did they ask me? They asked me, what is your stance on same-sex union? That's how they worded it. They oh, said, wow. same-sex union. Yeah. And I said, my group doesn't, wouldn't have a stance because we were going to be doing two-way prayer. So two-way prayer, you, you just pray to God. God, I want guidance, maybe on something specific or maybe just general. And then you just wait and see what happens. See, see what comes to you or what comes to your friends. And then you write it down. And yep. share notes and so obviously that well we wouldn't really have any real dog, dogma or, or opinions on anything and i guess i quoted uh one of the traditions of the 12 12 traditions of 12-step groups which is uh we have no opinion on outside uh outside matters yeah hence our name ought never be drawn into public controversy or something like that anyway yeah it wasn't uh wasn't good enough for her i don't think really so you were rejected yeah, I, i believe so like we we didn't hear back from them anyway she was going to take it to the to the board and but I, i don't think she was pleased with that um they had they had a, actually um their minister was was uh gay i met him as well because i went to one of their one of their uh, meetings it wasn't a church service it was like a spiritual meeting they were having right so he was gay so they really wanted to make sure Anybody that had anything to do with the church was pro, uh, was pro gay relationship. What kind of church was it? What denomination? Anglican. Anglican. Uh, yeah. Anglican. Yeah. 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 The, the, so, the, maybe Catholic is better, but I have issues with the Catholic church. Now let's talk <laughs> about the, let's talk about the current Pope a little bit. I think, uh, I saw, I, I read a little bit of his, uh, his book, Uh, or the preface, at least, uh, introduction of uh, his newest book. And it seemed to be overly political. And um, I remember years ago when he give, uh, gave Trump a pamphlet about climate change, that's when I knew that this guy, uh, this guy is, a, <laughs> even though he's, he's, in, he's a pope in a Catholic church, that regrettably he's, a, uh, he's very left in some way. Yeah, the, well, the thing, the thing with Catholicism, modern Catholicism, is that you still have, um, technically, it's, it's fairly conservative, but in reality, it's not conservative at all. Uh, it's very, very liberal. I work in a Catholic school system, and what they teach in, in terms of issues like the one we're talking, we were talking about before, like uh, uh, homosexuality and different political hot topics like that, It's all left, right down the left, the left wing view on things. And as well as the Pope, seemingly, um, he might not be, he, he might not come out and outright say certain things, but you can tell that he's definitely left leaning and definitely, as you said, very political. Um, so, you know, you meet lots of, I meet lots of Catholics that they don't teach the, the, the standard Catholic doctrine. They teach the leftist doctrine. Um, that's one of the things I talk about. This, I'll just show the book so in yeah. the book this my second book i talk a bit about that how po politics political ideology has become the new religion and it has even usurped uh actual like 
religions like the Catholic Church have become increasingly, in a way, political and uh, particularly radical, like left-wing radical ideas, ideologies, um, where, you know, you can ask, um, well, an example, an example I use in my book is um, that the, the, uh, the main religious person of, of a school, I can't remember what they're called now, um, the, the religious uh, teacher of the school, she said that Trump, <laughs> Trump has no virtue whatsoever, <laughs> not a virtue, not a virtue in his bone in his body, <laughs> not a virtue bone in his body. Wow. Um, and, you know, so, so very highly partisan and very highly like left. So the, the irony of that is that Trump's actually pro-life, right? And Catholics are supposed to be pro-life. So they would at least, they would at least agree with Trump on that. Right. Right. But they know, but they can't, they can't agree with Trump on even things that they, that they like that he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, it's me. like a uh, Pope uh, also took some shots at Trump by criticizing the border wall early on. Uh, I think even before he became president and things like that. And uh, this yeah. goes in line. Like it, it's not as bad as uh, I know you follow basketball at time. Well, not anymore, maybe, but uh, Steve Kerr back in 2010, he said, uh, cause Arizona had this law that they were trying to enforce the, the, the border, the law. And they, so they were suing the, um, they made this law and, and the federal government sued them, the Obama administration. And Steve Kerr came out and said that this is a Nazi law. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, yeah. like the Nazis were, have had a, had a wall because people were trying to come in. Like this, the logic of these people is just, I don't, okay, I have to stop myself. All right. Um, yeah, it's, it's not right to equate. It, you got to be careful be, before you equate anybody with Hitler and uh, with Nazism. And they tend to be quick to do that. I mean, not just people on the left, people on the right do that as well. But uh, yeah. it's, it seems to be more so on the left. They're very quick to do, to do that, to demonize the other side and then turn around and do the exact same thing <laughs> that, they, that, they were, uh, that they were scolding them for. They'll turn around and do the exact same thing. Like, uh, you know, the Russian collusion stuff. You know, they were very you know, very into election integrity in 2016, but in 2020, <laughs> they're not <laughs> so concerned with election integrity for some reason. Right. Um, and so the hypocrisy is something, this is one of the things like with this book, I talk about how politics can really, wow. it, it can really get you down. You know, it, it can really, I think, are you still uh, there? Oh yeah, I'm still here. I think uh, my camera stopped working, so we'll have to, uh, <laughs> We have to wrap up. <laughs> we have to wrap up. Maybe, yeah, in a five in five minutes or so. And it it happens rarely, but it happens from time to time. So it's okay. It's okay. Um. Yeah. Uh. It can really it can really tick you off. It can really and you know anger it doesn't calibrate so high. So yeah. We for me personally, I I need to I need to limit my exposure to politics. It's right. it's good to it's good to know certain things, and it's especially good to have your biases uh, smashed. So whatever you think is true, if you if you can realize that something you're holding on to uh, is totally false, totally you're totally wrong about something, and you have enough humility to 
be willing to see that and be willing to let it go. Uh, be willing to be proven wrong. If you have that level of humility and self-honesty, then I think you're in a good place spiritually. And people talk about how do, how do you get accurate muscle testing results? I think that is one of the things. You have to be willing to be wrong, willing to have your biases uh, smashed. So that's one thing that politics is useful for, is that if you study politics with a willingness to know the truth, chances are you're going to discover that you're, you're wrong about a lot of stuff. You know, most of us started off as fairly, very far, well, me, I was very far left because that's what I knew. And then, of course, as a teenager, you just go even further than what you've been brainwashed with. So I was, I was brainwashed to be left wing, so I went even further left wing. But then, so discovering that that stuff wasn't, wasn't true, a lot of it wasn't, isn't true or right, it takes a lot of honesty. It takes a lot of humility and um, sort of willingness. So we talk about willingness to love and it's, it's also willingness to be wrong. Yeah. It's uh, I think there's two separate things as well. There's, there's uh, willingness to love and willingness to, to have um, to go for the truth, to have the truth mm. with a capital T be a priority. Uh, Cause I think both come together because there's a, uh, there's a quote by uh, Milton Friedman that uh, that I think encapsulates this perfectly when he said that uh, that he respects liberals. I mean, not the liberals in classical sense, the left. He respects the left for for the softness of their heart, but oftentimes it extends to their head as well, and that comes mushy thinking, not thinking beyond stage one, as Thomas Sowell says, and all this stuff takes. Um, it yeah. takes intellectual humility to be able to see yeah. like, hey, this is this is not producing the results that we thought it was going to produce, yes. right? The, the modern left has has zero intellectual humility. They're, they're very dangerous, actually. The problem is, is that in an ideal world, the left and right would be kind of on, on equal footing in a way and spiritually. And there was a, probably a time in history when that was true. But but more recently, the, re the left has become more and more radical. And um, see, the, the same is true for the right in certain parts of the world. And also at certain times in history, the right, the right wing has become very radical. So it's not a really a left or right issue. It's that at certain times, one or the other becomes radical, corrupt, and uh, too much power. You know? And right now, the left has an extreme amount of power. They've become increasingly radical. And very, I mean, they're very, very corrupt. And, um, you know, they're mostly below 200, unfortunately. This is not, and this is not a partisan, it sounds partisan maybe, but it is not a partisan viewpoint. It's just, this is, you know, searching for the capital T truth. You discover what's actually going on. And, um, you know, it could happen on the right too, but right now it's happened on the left and it's, it is a problem in society. Um, but from, from an individual level, the problem is, is um, becoming brainwashed with some of these ideas, and it's important not to. But for somebody who's already a conservative, uh, that's already, you know, so they're not probably, they're probably not going to be brainwashed with leftist propaganda. But the, I think conservatives have to watch out for becoming overly negative and pessimistic yeah. and, and almost like spiteful and vengeful. Like how I felt um, the way a lot of things went down you know, in the last, let's say the last couple months in, in American yeah. politics, 
you know, there was quite a, I felt kind of angry, uh, you know, lack of hope for the future for Same. Western civilization, right? You know, Same. and those aren't, those aren't, and those aren't necessarily positive feelings, right? Uh, yeah. We have to, we have to stay optimistic and, and hopeful and, and loving. And we can't let these, you know, you know, Matt, um, there's like that, uh, that phenomenon that I think Dr. Hawkins talks about where the lower energies can kind of pull you in and get you in like, kind of like trap you in a sort of a, a war almost. Right. You know what, yep. you know what yep. I'm referring to? Yeah. So we got to be careful with that because it's easy just to get, it's easy to get into that. And then you can't, um, you, you can't, it, you can, it can block you from reaching a higher state of consciousness. That's really the, the most important thing like for a spiritual person. Most important thing is reaching a higher level of consciousness. So anything that gets in the way of that, you got to look at, you got to be willing to let it go, or you got to be willing to find a way to transcend it. Um, it really, in my experience, it really does get kind of subtle. Like, so something that is not technically bad for you, it may still be bad for you in the sense that it, like, let's say it still calibrates above 200, but it may be bad for you in the sense that it feeds a political addiction or it feeds that negative political energy, which, you know, for some of us, we can't reach a higher level of consciousness when that's going on in our lives. That, that was my experience anyway. When I had, you know, the third time I went to Sedona, I had like a, a spiritual awakening. And one of the factors in that was I wasn't, I wasn't uh, watching or paying attention to politics during that time. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah. Part of it, part of it for me is not even about politics. It's about the dopamine. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're triggering dopamine in your brain by, let's say, going on YouTube or whatever, social media, watching movies, uh, binge, binge watching series or whatever it is you're doing that leaves you sort of depleted energetically. Sometimes it can be hard to be in a high state spiritually when you're, when you're doing that stuff. Not that it's bad in and of itself, but hmm. as Hawkins, Hawkins said this, you know, like spiritual path is kind of a radical path. And it gets more and more radical, the more, you know, I'm saying radical in a, in a good sense, right? not radical right, politically, right. radical, radical inwardly, spiritually. So what, what would you, um, lastly, what would you recommend to people that uh, are really into politics, uh, like myself and other people that uh, have strong positions and uh, like myself, I'm especially now, in, I'm in university setting there's uh, a lot of uh, critical theory, a lot of uh, uh, things inspired by Marxism, let's say, and uh, how to be, how to navigate that, uh, that below 200 stuff, that negative uh, theories, paranoid theories, I call them, and how to navigate that and still be uh, uh, progressing spiritually. Because, well, I think, I think it affects people differently. Like I said, for me, it would be very hard to navigate that. Um, I have to really limit my exposure. That's just me personally. But, you know, the, the Hindu, the ancient Hindu um, understanding is that we, we had like four or five different classes of humans. And there was the, the priest, the priest class, then there was the warrior class. Mm. And if you're, if you're in the warrior class, then, then then you, you sort of take up a sword to some extent. Um, you feel called to be a part of the battle. And I think, you know, possibly you're in that, you're in that energetic class. 
in which case maybe maybe right yeah. in, in which case it's something you have to do um but you really got to watch i think you just really got to see how diff, how different things are affecting you spiritually and if it's if it's a lower energy um even if it's even if you feel like you're fighting a good fight if it's if you feel that it's bringing you down at all spiritually then you got to look at it i think that's just yeah. the key you got to about again it comes back to self honesty and being totally honest with yourself and like i'll give you an example i just watched uh, with my parents i just uh, watched um on netflix sorry not netflix amazon prime uh i they got they got a huge new tv and so they got a bunch of they got already had netflix but now they have amazon prime apple tv and a whole bunch of other stuff <laughs> oh man so i was visiting them and i'm like i first of all i want to i want to like experience this new massive tv and i also want to watch uh, jack ryan you know the show jack ryan no i never heard of it uh, starring uh, john krasinski from the uh, he played in the office okay anyway he's in the he's in this show that was written by a uh, famous jack Cl- uh, john clancy or some, somebody who writes um thriller novels anyway right it's, it's a show that i've wanted to watch for a while so i did i watched like two episodes first of all i was only going to watch one episode because it was getting late but of course it's addictive so you have to watch two and you yeah. end up going to bed at 12 o'clock at night and the show is a very good show but it's filled with uh, violence <laughs> politics and sex okay right. so <laughs> The effect that that's having, it's not that it's bad, but the effect that that's having on your body, you, you know, you end up going to bed late, you wake up tired, and then you're, you know, these energies of sex, politics, and violence are circulating in your consciousness. So is that really going to help you get to the next level of consciousness? Probably not. And it's probably, you know, if, if you did that every day, it's probably not going to help you at all in that area. Yeah, it's very hard. When I read that book, uh, uh why stop talking to white people about race something like that that's a very popular book and i thought it was full of uh her paranoia projected out and the more accurate title would be why i stop talking to white people because they don't agree with my paranoid theories and uh, (laughs) yes but then i read a book that was the opposite of that and there was a black author that said please liberals please stop helping something like that (laughs) and he argued a very solid case but oddly enough i'll say this um that the the first book uh the one about uh stop talking to white people about race that it was more emotional and it more alert you in. He had a this quality right. of persuasiveness. While the other book, while it was pure reason, it was it was dry. It was dry. Right. And right. I I hate to say that, but that was the case. At least with those two books contrasting them. And there's a oh, it's such so hard because it's uh, it's it's luring. It's uh, it is. It's luciferic. It like draws yeah. you yeah. in. It like oh, there's this injustice. We have to be vocal. We have to fight it. Uh, yeah. So um, you can see, and you can see how yeah. easy it is to be seduced. And especially if you didn't, if if you didn't have your training, if you didn't know mm. about Hawkins and and myself as well, we, we could easily be lured in and seduced. And, exactly. And, yeah. Right. And hypnotized by that by that stuff. It's really a form of hypnosis in a way. Yeah, yeah, it is mass so hypnosis. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Leave us with one, one positive prediction that you have for the future. What do you see? What do you, oh, what do you see happening for mankind? 
that's a tough that's that's a really hard question um well i think i think there's still a lot of people who believe in freedom um and that will persist i think that that will persist so we will we'll find a way i think we're going to find a way to maintain freedom um in the short term and probably even the long term because um, once, once you, once you know what it's like to be free, you, you don't want to, you don't want to give it up too easily. There's, there are some that are willing to give it up, but there's enough people that they see how valuable it is and how important it is to maintain it. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully they have, I think, um, I'm, I'm a believer that in 2025, like the book glamour says, there'll be a change, not just a change in the world in the energy of glamour, but a change in, in a higher level of consciousness of mankind. At least that's my hope. And before that, there will be uh, four bad years. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, th to be honest with you, like I don't see any positive, right now, I don't really see any positive trends uh, globally, socially. I don't really see any positive trends except there's there's some nation nationalism is not really hugely po positive but it's sort of a push pushing back against globalism and globalism isn't like necessarily negative but it's the the form of globalism right now it seems mostly tyrannical and and authoritarian so there's this pushback that's coming kind of like has a nationalistic flavor but it but it's pro freedom and you know like I don't want to sound too, I don't want to make this too political but we already have but <laughs> Trump Trump gave um, a, a speech a, a CPAC after you watched the CPAC speech I I was driving home from my parents and I I felt like God told me to turn on the radio for some reason and I turned it on and Trump was speaking at CPAC it was a pleasant surprise and anyway it was maybe the best speech I've ever the best political speech I've ever heard it was it was quite excellent Mm -hmm. um and it what 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 made it so great for me is that it really had like it really gave me more optimism that because trump is not he's not backing down he's not going away he's not going to just curl up and and just accept um any kind of false narrative or false defeat he's going to keep fighting for what he believes in he's going to keep fighting for freedom and and um and that just tells me that that's that's not dead you know that, that there's people and there's strong people like him that are that are still very much pro-freedom and very much they, they they still have a lot of power um so that is that's the most encouraging thing that i've seen recently that he's not backing down and yeah, that just gives it. a lot of people a lot of strength right it's great it's amazing it. I so love it. on a political level like Trump is, yeah, yeah. I hate yeah. to say it, but <laughs> I, I never <laughs> thought Donald Trump would be. I really didn't. I never, I, you know, I, and you know, I, know. I wasn't really pro-Trump at the beginning. I know, I, I know. We thought, had I we had disagreements. Yeah, yeah. Would be because his personality, his character, he's got a lot of flaws, but in this context, he has been a force for 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 freedom for, and in, in that sense, a force for good. You know, um, he wants he wants to maintain some of that freedom and and uh, well, the other thing, I mean, I don't know if this is going too long, but the other 
the big problem I see with politics is there's this there's this trend of self somebody said it as like self-loathing mm. and it's what you're seeing a lot too with all the, all the race there's this element of self-loathing of really not liking especially white people not liking their own race or right. americans not liking right. their own their own country and um and i i spent a year in thailand where thai people love they love thai people <laughs> it's like and what kind of food do you like we like thai food <laughs> and yeah. what's your favorite country thailand you know, and, and there's something about that that's really, really refreshing. And it's just, it's, it seems right. It seems like it, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, they have a little bit of a lack of, of multiculturalism, but there, there's a strength in their culture, which is a good thing. And so I think, you know, the West is going through this crisis of self-loathing and it's like identity crisis. And um, I don't know how we're going to come out of it, to be honest. I really don't know. Um, but we we have so far since Greece, you know, we've we've come out of it. Right. I think I think we will, but it's going to be. Uh, um, unfortunately, I think it's going to get uh, a lot worse before it gets better. And uh, I don't know if it's going to take four years or yeah, more it, than ten it, years. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, hopefully we will. And uh, I, I see like a ten year. There's like a. Yeah, I think we're in a 10 year, I think we're in a 10 year period. The next 10 years is going to be very interesting. It could be pretty bad. Yeah. And it could even be a hundred years. I mean, we've gone through longer. We've gone through a thousand oh year dark ages. So I, I don't um, want to think about that. <laughs> you know, it could even be that, right? It's possible. All right. It's possible. Well, but in the end, you know, we'll come out of it. We will. And on that note, we will end. Uh... And, and you know what? It doesn't matter. And, and one more thing, one more thing. And it doesn't right. even matter about all that because between you, it's between you and God anyway. It's, it's, yes. it's individual anyway. Yeah. The most important thing is uh, your relationship with God, meaning uh, how your soul is doing. How, how your soul is doing is going to yeah. affect the world. So if, you, if we forgive yeah. people, if we are more loving in our daily life, if we um and we spread that light as it were we spread that light in the world we don't have to go to a protest we have to we just can meditate pray do the spiritual work and that's all that's required to to change the world in a sense so mm -hmm. that's the positive message if we can't, and if we can't change the world if we can't change the world we can at least change ourselves yes exactly with god's help right mahatma, mahatma yeah. gandhi said be the change you want to see all right, Dan, this was a yeah. roller coaster of an episode. And you know, you know what? I thought about it. It's more important that people see the guests and than, than me. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. So I want to thank you, Dan, for being on my Thanks, podcast. Man. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I really appreciate it, Matt. It's been great. And thank you, everybody. Keep for doing listening. keep up the good work. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening and watching.